Jesus said, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Man, I guess when you hear that gospel lesson, you've got to stop and ask yourself, is Jesus having a bad day or what? Cutting off hands and feet and gouging out eyes and uh, being cast into hell. I mean, okay, I guess maybe even the Son of God sometimes has a bad day, right? Um, but you know, like most things in life, what his words are, it's not quite as simple as it might at first seem. On the one hand, it sounds judgmental. I mean, really judgmental, harsh. But there's also in there a, a, a beacon and actually the definition of hope itself. You know, Jesus is the consummate straight shooter. He's the consummate truth teller. And so when he, the words he uses today, we're going to dive in and see what's he driving in. What is all this language about gouging out eyes and anger and lust and all this? Well, we're going to dive into that today. And I have two points today, two ideas. I want to look at the impossibility of keeping the rules. The impossibility of keeping the rules is point number one. And then my second point is the grace that changes us, the grace that changes you and me. So we're going to tackle this one. I, I, I did, in fact, draw the short straw this week, which is why I'm preaching this text. Uh, but anyway, I'm just kidding around. We're going to dive right in because this is a lot of great stuff in here. So first thing is the, the inability, the impossibility of keeping the rules. Now, the lesson from today, this gospel lesson, comes from a chunk of Matthew's gospel, usually referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, right? And that's important. Jesus, it's his longest sermon, and he's actually giving several new commandments. If you know your Old Testament, the original top 10 were given on Mount Sinai, right? So Jesus being on the Mount is not a coincidence. He is giving a new set of directives. It's his longest sermon we have recorded, and like all really good preaching, Jesus does two things. He afflicts the comfortable and he comforts the afflicted. Did I get that right? Yeah. He comforts, the, he afflicts the comfortable, and he comforts the afflicted. Jesus, Jesus tackles six really big topics. Anger, lust, divorce, lying, revenge, loving your enemies. That's a lot for one sermon. I'm just going to dial in on just one just to keep it simple, and it's a lot anyway. Today I want to look at the first one he talks about, which is, which is anger. Here's, let me read it to you again. Jesus says the following words. You, and that word there is second person plural in the Greek, so it's y'all. <laughs> you guys, if you're from Philly, right? Pittsburgh, Yens, you get the idea. All right. Y'all have heard of what was said in days of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Okay? Commandment number six, right? But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to hell. Man, what's going on there? Well, the first thing he's doing, obviously, is he's referring to commandment number six, thou shalt not murder. By the way, as a lay aside note, that is not thou shalt not kill. Murder and killing are two different things. Uh, murder has intention and, intention and, and, uh, and grief, um, anger behind it. But he says, he says no, 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 you've heard, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. You heard that one, 
But I say to you, if you call your brother a fool, you're going to hell. Now just stop and think about that for a second, because what he's just done, I mean, where do the top, where do the Ten Commandments come from? They come from God through Moses on the, on the tablets, right? Jesus says, yeah, you heard all that, but I'm telling you something different. What's he just done? He has just assumed to be God. But I say, you heard it said, but I say to you. That's a staggering point. I mean, the Ten Commandments were given by God through Moses for his people to train us in how to live. And Jesus says, oh yeah, you thought that was bad. I say to you the following. And he, he ratchets it up. He makes it even more challenging, more stringent. Speaking with the authority of God, Jesus says, if you call someone a fool, you are committing the same crime as if you'd killed someone. And the funny thing is, a lot of people, a lot of people, will look at the Bible as sort of like this, right? They'll say that the Old Testament God is a God of wrath and anger and all that. And the New Testament God, Jesus, is, you know, sort of a hippie, you know, kind of walks around with, you know, floppy sandals and peace and love and butterflies and stuff. That's just not true, is it? He ratchets it up even stronger. He, Jesus actually takes the commandments and makes them even more stringent. And as an aside, let me just show you something here. When he says, if you call someone a fool, you've actually murdered them. That word for, the, that word for fool is the, Greek, is the Greek word moros. And, and you know, whoever, I've never called anybody a fool in my life. If you, it's a kind of antiquated word. It's actually a, it's a swear word. That word fool, the word moros, it's a Greek word, and it doesn't just mean you moron, it means you fill in the blank. He says, if you say that to somebody, you are guilty of hell. Let me, let me turn this around and make a point. How many of you drive in Vero Beach when we're in season? <laughs> just last week, just literally last Tuesday, the Lord always gives me great sermon illustrations. Um, just last week, I was driving down Indian River Boulevard to make a right to come into work, and there's a person in front of me going 20 miles an hour, 2-0, in a 50, right? At least they're going the right direction, so I shouldn't complain. <laughs> they're going 20 miles an hour, and I'm behind this person, and there's a guy behind me in a pickup truck who's honking. By the way, if you're from up north, don't honk when you come down here. It gives it away that you're not a local. We don't honk if you're a local. Anyway, it's a side. This guy's honking behind me, and he's, he's waving to me in the rearview mirror, and he's honking, rah, rah, and I'm getting frustrated at this person in front of me who's driving 20 miles an hour. And I will confess to you, friends, I got a little frustrated, as you might expect, said a few things that I shouldn't have said. It wasn't the word moros, but you get the idea. But according to Jesus, what I said in my anger Listen to this. What I, according to Jesus, what I said in my frustration, come on, you! Ah! I'm guilty of murder, and I'm going to hell. I'm willing to bet some of you have done that very same thing, haven't you? Anybody here ever lose their temper? Take, even, if you don't, even if you're an excellent driver, right? Even if you don't lose your temper when you drive, and that's pretty rare. Has anybody here ever said to somebody, you're a, you're a, Anybody? Yeah, you all have. Guess what? You're all going to hell. Have a nice day. There's more to the story. Stay with me. Jesus says, if you call someone a fool, you call someone a moros, 
That ranks up there with murder. So I'm just going to come right out and say it. The person sitting in your seat right now is guilty of murder. Have a nice day. Making you squirm yet? I had a situation happen like that to me once where I was convicted of what you're probably feeling right now. I hope you are. When I was 26 years old, I was, um, I was uh, working for a Siemens Corporation outside Philadelphia, where I'm, where I'm from, out in uh, Valley Forge, King of Prussia area. And I was back in my apartment. I'd sort of just come back to faith. I was sort of trying to get in this Christianity thing. I was not raised a Christian, as you know. And uh, I, w- I read this book called The Screwtape Letters. Anybody read it? We're going to study it in a couple weeks. The Screwtape Letters is a book by C.S. Lewis. It's a series of letters from a demon named Screwtape to a junior demon in training named Wormwood. You with me? So these are the Screwtape Letters from Screwtape to Wormwood, giving Wormwood advice on how to tempt a human soul. So you go through it. It's not long. It's not a hard read. It's a great book. But one thing as you go through it, you begin to see how every time the patient, the human, in this case it would have been me, every time the person thinks they're doing the right thing, bam they blow it. And so I'm reading this book, and I'm fascinated and I'm terrified at the same time. And I'll never forget this, which is why we're going to study it. I finished the book, and I put it on my, I was laying on my bed, and I finished the book, and I folded it up, and I said, man, no matter what I do, I can't be perfect. No matter what I do, I'm going to make a mistake. And I said, Lord, there's no way I can do this. And he said to me, that's the point. So what Jesus is driving at here is he's not, he is not trying to demand performance out of you. He's trying to ask you to become humble, you see. It occurred to me that no matter how hard I try, no matter how good I try to be, no matter how good you try, how hard you try, no matter how hard you try, you will always blow it. You will never be the person you know you want or should be. It's universal to the human condition. It's not just you. It's not just me. We are all, to use the Bible's language, fallen, broken, sinners, whatever you want to call it. It's all the same word. God said, that's the point. You have to recognize this. If Jesus' if Jesus's standards, listen, I'll put it to you like this. If Jesus' standards seem impossible to you, he also says, by the way, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. So if you haven't murdered anybody by calling them a fool, if you watch the halftime show at the Super Bowl, you're guilty of adultery. But here's the point. I, here's what he's driving at, right? If his standards seem impossible to you, that's because they are. You cannot do, friends, you, this is the point, you cannot do this life on your own. You can't. But this is the key. Jesus says in verse 17, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Say it again. He says, I have not come to abolish the law. I have come to fulfill it. This is the key to the whole thing. Jesus says, you cannot do this on your own. You cannot always do the right thing but I will do it in your place. I will die in your place on the cross. I will pay for your sins. I will make you good. I will make you righteous. I will make you holy. Jesus is not asking you for a performance. He's not asking you to try harder because he knows you'll fail. 
he's asking you is he wants you to learn to be humble. What does that mean to be humble? I'm going to give you out of the screw tape letters again. We, we never use the word humble, do we? Uh, C.S. Lewis says in the screw tape letters, and these are his words, not mine, and they're a little dated, but stay with me. C.S. Lewis says, Wormwood writes to screw, uh, screw tape writes to Wormwood, my dear Wormwood, if the, if the patient begins to discover that they are being humble, point out to them that they are humble and make them proud of their own humility. See, it's a good book. What Lewis points out that, look, humility is not, this is what his words, humility is not what most people think, his words, that pretty women thinking they're ugly and smart men thinking they're stupid. A little dated, I admit. But that's what most people think of when they think of humility, but that's not true. Real humility is being completely honest with yourself and who you are. Because God knows. Everybody else around you knows. You know it. All humility is is admit it. Admit that you're broken, that you can't do this on your own. And by the way, if you don't know this, that word for sin, it sounds bad, right? Uh, sinner. That word for sin is a Greek word, hamartia. And you know what it means? It's, it's pretty innocuous. It means, it means to shoot an arrow and miss the target. That's all it means. To sin is nothing worse and nothing more than to try and fail. My daughter Gracie, when she would get in trouble when she was six or seven years old, she'd say, you know, Daddy, everybody makes mistakes. Well, yeah, she's right. You know why? We're all broken. We're sinners, you might say. And I want you to understand something here, that once you finally acknowledge that, once, and, it's, and it's obvious when you think about it, once you finally admit it and acknowledge it in your own heart, friends, there's incredible freedom in that. There's incredible liberation in that. When the Lord said to me, Rodriguez, that's the point. You can't do this on your own, but I can do it for you. I can do it in, on, and through you. I can save you if you'll come to me. I will make you perfect, Jesus says, because I will die for your sins in your place, and I'll pay for them what you can't pay for. Let me ask you a question, and this is a real one. Do you worry? Yep. Are you resentful? Yeah, sometimes. Do you get angry? Yep. Jesus says, you know what? You need to put that, you need to let that go. You need to let that all go. Because you know what? I paid for that. I've already covered that on the cross. My death on the cross in your place pays for all that. Have some humility and let it go. That's my first point. The law that the rules that Jesus lays out are to point out something very simple and very profound. That you and I, friends, are not able to prove ourselves and work our way. We are not perfect, but Jesus makes us perfect by his death on the cross in our place. Full stop. And the second point I want you to see here, then, is the grace that changes us. Um, how we, let me say it like this, how we act doesn't earn your way with God. How you act reflects the fact that God has saved you. Put it another way. God, Jesus says, you've been saved. You've been saved. Now act like it. You've been redeemed. Act like it. You've been, I have saved you. Act like it. That Greek word for the word grace, right, is the word charis. And what it means is, this is great, it means God's undeserved, unmerited gift to you and me. He offers that grace to you and to me. And that grace changes you and me from the inside out. 
If you spend any life, any time in your life as a Christian, you'll begin to see something, and if you don't see it, people around you will. They'll say, you know, you're different than you used to be. You know, you seem a little, the things that used to not bother you at all now kind of bother you. You're watching the halftime show, and you say, you know, I I don't want to watch this. I used to love uh, scary movies. Not slasher films, but scary movies. I don't even like that anymore. God, God is changing what, I, what is appealing to me. He's changing me from the inside out. When you admit, friends, you are fallen and you can't get up, like the commercial says, and you accept Jesus' gift of salvation, it changes you. It cannot not change you. And that allows you to change the world. Let me show you something, and I'm going to wrap up. Last week, Jesus said something absolutely profound. Everything he says is profound. But he says last week, he says, you are the salt of the earth. Again, it's second person plural. Y'all are the salt of the earth. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to his followers. Now, if you don't know this, in the first century, Jesus' time, salt was not a condiment. It wasn't a seasoning. You used salt to, to, uh, pure, to make food. It could keep it. It would preserve food. So when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he's not saying you're bringing a little flavor to the world. No. He's saying, you are preserving the world from falling apart. You, y'all, me, us, are the salt of the earth. We are the ones who are called by Jesus to make the world a better place, to keep the world from going off the rails. Don't you see? Once we have been saved, we are called to live differently, friends, as the church, so that we can be an example to the world of how to live give you an example. Jesus says, if a brother sins against you, a fellow Christian in the community of the church, he says, leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother before you put your, bring your gift up. In other words, you, you know, uh, in the liturgy today, the priest, I, will pronounce absolution and then we'll do the peace, right? Where we shake hands. Hey, good morning, Bill, Bob, how you doing? You know what that's really for liturgically? It's exactly this point. If somebody in the church has sinned against you, has wronged you, if there's bad feelings in the church, Jesus says, get up out of your pew and go to that person and be reconciled before you put your money in the plate and bring it to the altar, before you bring your offering to the Lord. Friends, I'm telling you what he's saying. If you and I are not salty here, we are no use out there. Friends, if we cannot get our relationships in this church together, if we can't be on the same page, if we can't be salty here. We're useless out there. And I'll submit to you, let me put it like this, do you, do you, is it just me, or do you think that our culture we're living in is kind of, kind of falling apart? Yes? Is it just me, or are things just getting kind of weirder and weirder? All right, and I don't want to get into the whole Trump-Pelosi thing, it's great fodder for entertainment, but I'm not going to go there, I'm just trying to, those are, they're symptoms, not causes, right? If you look around at the world and the things going on in our culture, there's all sorts of things falling apart. You know whose fault it is? Mine and yours. Because we are called to be salt. We are called to be preservers. We are called to be the ones that say, no, 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 there's a better way. There's a better way than this. You don't have a halftime show that acts that way. We treat women with respect. We don't do that. If a brother sins against me, I'm going to go and tell him so we can be reconciled and be at peace. Friends, the problem with the church in my opinion, is that we don't stand out and we don't stand up. If you look at history, if you look at history, 
it was always the church who was front and center in doing the right thing. I mean, and all, there's all, all sorts of examples. It's like, think of uh, the bubonic plague, right? Big plague wiped out most of Europe. You know, everybody else is hunkering down like this virus in China, right? Everyone else is locking their doors and putting on masks and staying, trying to stay safe. You know what the Christians did, what the salty Christians did? They went out and they would tend to those who were sick. And they would bring them to the hospital at great risk to themselves, by the way. You know why? They were salt. They were going to set the example. Think about the slave trade in, in uh, 17th century England. 18th century England. Abolished. Largely, in part, by a guy named William Wilberforce, an Anglican priest who wrote Amazing Grace, the song we all love. He was a slave trader. He worked to abolish the slave trade. Why? He was a Christian. Uh, fall of Nazism, right? That, that, one, uh, that one movie that's about with um, the guy that has the patch over his eye. What's the name of that movie? Valkyrie. He was a Christian. Those guys were against not the, uh, Adolf Hitler, Christians. The fall of the Berlin Wall, Pope John Paul II, Lequalessa, Christians. You see my point. If we're going to change the world, friends, if we're going to be out there in the culture and be the people that God calls us to be, we have to be humble, we've got to be grace-filled, and we've got to be out there. Friends, Jesus says to us today, something very profound. He says, stay salty, my friends. Stay salty, my friends. Be people of deep humility and also examples of grace and love to a culture which so desperately needs us because we know that we are sinners saved by God's grace. We are sinners saved by Jesus who died to save us. We have joy. We have peace. And he calls us to go and preach the good news, to be salt, to show the world a better way and prove that Jesus does indeed change lives for good. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word, which challenges us and encourages us. Remind us that we are called to be salt that your church is the only thing standing between this world and the gates of hell. Let us be examples to a world that is hurting and fallen, examples that Jesus changes lives. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.